Welcome to the Voices of STEM podcast, a podcast highlighting the stories of marginalized students on their journey to become STEM professionals. Each week, you'll get a deeper look into the lives of a current STEM student told through their successes, challenges, and complexities. And I'm your host, Dr. Stacey Dutton. Welcome back, y'all, to a new season of the Voices of STEM podcast. So this season, we decided to break the mold a little bit and zero in on the concept of climate change. And I know many of you have heard about climate change, whether it has been from a scientific perspective or from a more social perspective, as it has been a common buzzword that is in our media. However, many people still are not clear on what it means or what it entails for our daily lives. And so to discuss this a bit further, I decided to have some students tell stories about their climate. And in that, these students will discuss their local environments, talking about some of the sustainability issues or sustainability initiatives that are being done to remediate some of the issues of climate change. And in addition, discuss some issues of environmental injustice that may have taken place. And so with that, let's get into this week's voices. I'm from Augusta, Georgia, and over the years, I've realized that my hometown has really influenced my identity a lot more than I thought. This year, I've been volunteering in my school's sustainability office to get to know people on campus in the community that I'm interested in. So while researching for this project, I was searching for examples of environmental injustices in my community and a friend recommended that I pick up a copy of this book by Melissa Checker called Polluted Promises, Environmental Racism and the Search for Justice in a Southern Town. Before finding this book, I hadn't heard of Hyde Park or their story, but once I started reading, I knew that the Hyde Park community would be a perfect one to focus on. Over in South Augusta, amid the industrial hustle and bustle of factories and slaughterhouses sits a small, mainly low-income African-American neighborhood, Hyde Park. The residents of Hyde Park had gone largely unnoticed by Augusta's politicians and fellow citizens until the late 1960s when they were finally fed up with their lack of infrastructure and formed the Hyde and Aragon Park Improvement Committee, HAPIC. HAPIC was a community of folks just looking to receive the same power lines, running water, and paved roads that other wider neighborhoods in Augusta were given long ago. The organization turned out to become something much more once the ball got rolling a little bit. HAPIC got invested in environmental injustice in the 1990s because some residents got seriously sick with rare cancers and skin conditions. It was discovered that in the early 80s, a wood-preserving factory detected soil and groundwater contamination that extended off of the factory's property in two big plumes. The factory shut down and worked on fixing their toxic mistakes. And around that same time, Virginia Subdivision a low-income white community got a settlement from a lawsuit against the wood-preserving factory. Hyde Park's ditches also backed up to the factory's property, but residents of Hyde Park were never told of the lawsuit and received no compensation. This exclusion didn't seem like a coincidence to them. The community was fired up. Other industries nearby were polluting the neighborhood like crazy, and none of Augusta's politicians seemed to care. Some of the polluters were present before Hyde Park became a neighborhood, but the neighborhood was formed in the legacy of slavery, sharecropping, and Jim Crow. For many black families, Hyde Park was the only real estate that was made affordable or available to them at all. Georgia Power was leaking 
polychlorinated biphenyls at night. The thermal ceramics plant sent plumes of smoke that left cars and homes covered in a white dust in the morning. A scrapyard was leaching chemicals into the ditches and gardens of Hyde Park. These are just a few examples of the neglect that Hyde Park received from the community, either because it was presumed that Hyde Park residents wouldn't care that their ch children couldn't play in the dirt, or Hyde Park wasn't even considered when zoning boards allowed all of these dangerous industrial polluters to set up shop so close to a neighborhood. Residents were unable to relocate due to the diminished real estate value the contamination brought. The Hapic Activist Organization pushed for the junkyard's cleanup, and in 1999, the community received a Brownfields grant from the EPA, and during the cleanup, the Georgia EPD had to help too because of the massive amount of cleanup that was needed. They ended up removing 20,000 tons of surface waste from the junkyard, which is a success. The close-knit Hyde Park community was able to accomplish some of their goals with regard to environmental justice, but of course, the push for justice doesn't stop there. Checker's book is a very well-detailed anthropological case study of environmental racism in the Augusta area. She recounts Hyde Park's story by way of making the voices of marginalized communities heard, rather than inserting her own outlook onto her research. Um, hi, I am a woman. I am white and I am straight. I'm part of the lower middle class, but I'm also very fortunate that I've been able to get the chance to go to college while my parents help me as much as they can. But I'm also very much a broke college student that just wants to help our planet in any way. Being from Houston, or the Houston area, one of the most important popular marine environments in the area is Galveston. Its beaches in the Gulf of Mexico because of its very close proximity. Many issues could be discussed at any given time, but a major issue that I am concerned with and one that global warming is greatly affecting are the sea turtles. Multiple species of sea turtles use not only Galveston, but many of the beaches on the Texas coastline to nest. These nesting grounds are susceptible to rising sea levels that are inching closer and closer and beginning to take away part of the beaches and exposing the areas they use to nest to potentially being affected by seawater or even flooded and no longer being a viable place for nesting. Along with that, global warming is causing rising temperatures, meaning that the sand the sea turtles are laying their eggs in is becoming hotter as well. These hotter temperatures neg negatively affect the eggs and lower the reproductive, reproductive output because not all the eggs hatch as they are essentially getting too hot and boiling to the point where they cannot develop and the egg becomes unviable. These consequences of global warming are taking a huge impact on the sea turtle population and will continue to do so until something is done. There are many conservation efforts though on, the Gal on Galveston Island and its surrounding cities of Tiki Island and Bolivar Peninsula. These efforts have been around for a while and mostly consists of beach cleanups and sand dune protection as well as other barriers being put in place after the small mother sea turtles return back to sea to protect their nest. 
These protection barriers allow for the city of Galveston to protect sea turtle nesting ground and protect their eggs or hatchlings from any harm by people done purposely or accidentally. I still believe that there is more that needs to be done to protect our marine environments and animals from harm that our species is causing. On another note, we will talk about climate injustice. And a main and pretty disturbing one that is very close to home is the issue of environmental racism. A big instance of this is present in the poor and lower class suburbs of Houston, where I grew up. They are surrounded by oil refiners and other plants that continuously send pollutants into the air and water, such as the Port of Houston and the Ship Channel. In the neighborhoods of Harrisburg, Manchester, which is completely surrounded by refineries, and Pasadena, with the majority minority occupancy, low-income housing, and poorer neighborhoods are exposed to many harsh and toxic chemicals on a daily basis. These areas are often referred to as sacrifice zones because it is to sacrifice the people that live there in order to make money with these refineries and plants. There is even a business and economy now surrounding toxic tours that take you through the areas of the refineries and teach people on tours about how the chemicals and other trash refineries dispose of are harming the environment and the people and talk about all the medical issues associated with them. This is very concerning to the people. This is very concerning to me because I spent most of my life in this area and I wonder what problems I may have in the future because of my area and possible toxins or pollutants that I have been exposed to, which is only added to by the multiple plant explosions that I have been exposed to during my lifetime. There was even at one point when we had to stay inside for a couple of days because a plant was burning. And also, you know it's bad when high school, my high school has regular plant explosion drills even more often than our fire drills. Thanks for listening to my TED Talk. Make sure to follow us on social media at Voices of STEM on IG and Twitter. See you next week.